Legacy Door, Episode 2.4, Vulnerability. Daniel Lutcher, 714 p.m. Their hastily redonned shirts and underwear, having in turn been hastily removed, had now been redonned again, by mutual agreement that it would help keep things businesslike. And with Vanessa's interrogation of Dan's experiences having slowed, Dan interrogated hers. Abby said the Lichers have the secret to immortality, you said? Asked Dan, sitting up in bed with his back to the wall. Yeah, said Vanessa, reclining in his arms, both of them facing the far wall. And I laughed at her. No beating yourself up, he reproved, kissing the back of her head through her abundant hair. (sighs) No beating myself up, but it's a fact. All right. And how long has your dad been sick? Years, I think. He and Mom don't talk about it, and I've been at Drake or in St. Louis most of the time. According to Jules, he started using the chair about eight months ago, and he stopped walking at all about two months ago. So, whatever secret Uncle Frank has, your dad would have wanted it then. Vanessa nodded her head, her hair writhing pleasantly against his face and chest. Absolutely. In fact, way before, I'm convinced of it. I always knew there was something he wanted from the Lutchers. Abby just gave it a shape. I think that's why he married Mom in the first place. And why he helped Dad with the restaurant. And maybe why your mom ran away from him. Yeah. Either she didn't want him to have the secret, or she didn't like that he married her just for that. I imagine she didn't say anything about it to four-year-old Hugh. No, she just said we and Uncle Jeff were going on a trip. And then it was one little town or roadside attraction after another, until the accident. Huh. Did I ever tell you how sorry I was about your mom? She twisted her head up and around to smile at him. Yeah, you did. Wearing a little blue suit, you were very sweet. (laughs) Dan chuckled. I don't remember, but I'm glad. She straightened her head to look back at the wall, and again, he just saw her hair. Load of good it did. I couldn't forgive you for still having a mom and a dad. Not until... Well, you know that story. (laughs) Kinda. She shrugged against him. Well, it's not worth getting into now. Ask me more about Abby's theory. Um... So, if your dad has wanted to get the secret since forever, why are they only selling it to him now? Assuming they are. He's always been rich, right? Oh, yeah. He was born rich, though he's made a lot from investments over the years. I learned about some of it when I was working for him, but I should probably know more than I do. All right. Well, then, even though the trust money is a fortune to me, it must be a fraction of what he's worth. He could have afforded it any time. Dan felt Vanessa's shoulders tense against his chest. She said, Maybe he only became desperate enough to pay the price recently, now that he's staring death in the face. That doesn't seem right. That's because it's 100% wrong. He hates being weak. The moment he got sick, he would have eagerly paid to be well again. Which could mean that the change is on the other end. They're selling the secret now because this is the first time they've been interested. And that explains why Dad looked so excited at the party. I thought I might be projecting it, but even with the cancer pulling him down, he had this look like 
he was outsmarting everyone. Dan nodded very slowly, weighing a new factor. This was happening to both of them, but Vanessa was the one whose father had his life on the line. I guess the question is, do we think that what's happening is bad? Is this something we want to disrupt if we can, or is it something we should leave alone if it's not threatening us? Vanessa's head tilted back against him like she was looking at the ceiling. I don't know. Anybody who would kill someone like Abby deserves retribution. I don't care who they are. Dan silently translated that. Vanessa did care who they were. She cared deeply. She just wasn't going to let their identity change her course. Could be that your dad and the killers are on opposite sides of this. It's a business deal, Dan. Everyone's your enemy and everyone's your friend. If Frank's side killed Abby to get some advantage over Dad, it's just haggling over the price. Dad would still be guilty because it would all be part of the deal they're doing. And if he wanted my sympathy, he should have asked for it. Maybe he's trying to keep you safe. Dan didn't like playing devil's advocate, but felt someone should, lest their imaginations run away with them. If so, he's just saving me for some later play. Now her coldness did surprise him. You... Don't think he loves you? I don't think he loves anyone. He felt her shoulders tense, then release. Phew! That gets easier to say every time. Who else have you been saying it to? Julia. Was that really just last night? Vanessa put a hand to her forehead. Man, I wish she was here. Might be a little awkward. Vanessa swept her hand down on the meat of his bare leg with a loud smack and said, You know what I mean, funny man. Jesus. Vanessa giggled with him for a moment, then said, She's probably the smartest of all of us. She's had to be. Things at least seemed semi-normal for you and me when we were little. She's been in the middle of this bullshit her whole life. She always knew there was something wrong. Hmm. What about Kevin? Kevin's a baby. I mean, not really. He's growing up to be a really good dude, but... Julia's always protected him from family stuff. Off in the corner where her purse was, Vanessa's tablet pinged. She grabbed Dan's knees and launched herself forward, hopped off the bed and crouched while fishing it out, her dark hair spilling down the back of her white shirt or swaying in the air, her shapely legs bent, her bare feet arched. Dan wished he could take a picture. Speak of the devil. Kevin? Nah, Julia. She just touched down in Rochester, but it's about him. She cornered Mom, Sandra, about him on their flight, and she said Dad bought him a trip to Aspen to go skiing. She looked over at Dan, processing this. As a treat. Does he ski? He loves it, but it's not like Dad to encourage him to skip school. Vanessa grabbed the towel they'd used earlier, spread it on the floor, and sat on it cross-legged, swiping on her tablet. A lot of factors ran through Dan's head, but he decided there was someone better qualified to weigh them. What does Julia think of it? She thinks it's a freaking conspiracy. She's pinged him a bunch of ways, but hasn't heard anything from him. It's possible he's still in the air, though. Sandra's playing dumb about the exact travel times. She looked back at her tablet and swiped furiously for a few moments, her finger dancing across the touchscreen. What are you saying? Dan asked. Updating her on my day. Anything about me? She dismissively blew a lock of hair out of her face. I'm in Des Moines by now, remember? Her swiping became more frantic as she added, Try thinking before you speak. Dan winced, but said nothing. 
Vanessa seemed to hear the silence, stopped, and looked up. Sorry, I'm juggling a lot of balls here. She returned her attention to the tablet. Gotcha. He responded, accepting her apology and suppressing the urge to make a crude joke. I just wanted to have my story straight if I talk to her later. Vanessa nodded slowly as she worked. Makes sense. In fact, I'll throw in that I pumped you but came up empty. She stopped, tilted her head up just enough to consider him through her lashes, then added, Which is not exactly true. Dan smiled. He hadn't blamed her for her previous remark, but if he had, he would have forgiven her now. He blew a kiss across the room. She took a pleased breath, said, Dork. And then returned to what she was doing. Dan could feel the predictable fatigue from their earlier activities catching up with him. Fighting the urge to just lay back while she did all the work, he rolled off the bed, picked up his pants, fished his phone out, sat in the chair, and started scrolling through his messages. What have you got going on? Vanessa asked without looking up. Nothing much. A couple editors responding to review pitches, and a lot of meaningless internet stuff. I guess not living a lie means you have less social overhead than I do. Yeah. Not many people to lie to anyway. Mom, my friend Jerry. His girlfriend Joyce. Yep. Good memory. Mind like a steel trap. These aren't urgent, but I'll take care of them anyway while you do your thing. Yeah, good idea. Us. 7.53 p.m. The male legatee entered our room once again, this time with a female legatee following him. Not out of subservience, we could tell more from an inclination to keep him in her sight. She was slightly older, but far better preserved. They brought attention in with them. They were unsure of each other, and of us. We remained behind our desk, intending to work until we reached a convenient stopping point. We pointedly did not look up, instead observing them through a camera feed on our computer screen. After a moment of impatient stillness, the male said, You asked us to come here. His tone was less respectful than we liked, but we deferred punishment. Indeed we did, we replied. It appears that we were not informed about all the complications that have developed, so it seemed necessary for us to bring both of you here, so that we can have confidence that what you say is the consensus by which we should judge the legatees as a whole. The female glared at the male's back. The male kept his eyes angrily fixed forward and spoke again. It's true that there is more going on than I mentioned in my request, but I was leaving out matters which we legatees could take care of ourselves so as not to complicate your work. Our work, we said sharply, is to ensure and verify that the plan proceeds at the desired pace without reversals. Any disruption or dissension within your bloodlines could affect the timetable, which, as you know, could have the most unfortunate consequences. The female smiled mutely, enjoying the male's discomfiture. For his part, he said, And we legatees take that extremely seriously. But plans are in place to keep everything smoothly moving according to the timetable without the disruption that excessive intervention might cause. We nodded, as they would expect, even though they could only see the top of our head. Such minimal interference is generally the wise course, true. But in this case, too many threads have been left to dangle, too close to yourselves, for too long. They must be tied up more securely, or else cut. The male breathed a frustrated breath, then asked, do you have any specific guidance about where to start? 
His voice carried the slightest note of challenge. We modulated ours for a cold harshness. Your sloppy behavior would not normally create a need in us to help you, but you have brought your problem here. We are observed, and now we must make sure that it does not happen again. With this, we looked up from our screen for the first time to show the male our eyes. He seemed to look back with two pairs, each marked by a different kind of terror. The effect was quite satisfying. Vanessa Dorn, 7.57 p.m. Everything had been calm. Vanessa was finishing up her internet work by sending off a last couple inquiries, having decided there was no hurry in waking Dan. She had not noticed his unconsciousness at first, but when she looked up to tell him something, his head was dipped forward, eyes closed, hands in his lap, still clutching his phone. She inwardly tagged the image as adorbs, then returned to her work. Some minutes after that, it all changed. He started hyperventilating, his phone hit the floor, and he moved his arms like he was trying to brush something off of himself. His rapid breaths became primal vocalizations, including half-formed words of rapidly increasing volume. Dan, she said from the floor. Dan, wake up! Her first thought was of rescuing him from distress. Only secondarily did she worry that people in adjoining rooms might hear him. He continued, vocalizations louder. She was on her feet in a moment, and in another was leaning over him, fearlessly grabbing his shoulders from the front and repeating his name. His clenched eyes opened but seemed to look past her. His arm movements became faster and more pronounced. His left hand flopped futilely against her right side, and she ignored it. But while she was entirely focused on his face, trying to decide what to do next, his right hand formed a fist, pulled back, swung, and hit her, square across the jaw. Time seemed to slow down. She felt herself spin around, then tried for what seemed like a very long moment to balance on one foot. But the ground wouldn't stay solid beneath her. The world shifted ninety degrees and she fell on her back. Her head bounced against the floor, and stars danced below the cheaply painted ceiling. Everything seemed too bright, so she closed her eyes. But the stars remained. Somewhere she heard his voice, repeatedly saying, Vanessa? Softly but intensely. She couldn't bring herself to speak just yet, but she reached out her hands in the direction of the sound, found his head and brought it down to her chest. She felt tears against her skin. What happened? She heard herself ask. I had a dream. She's going to kill me. Vanessa's consciousness stabbed through the clouds of almost pleasant dizziness. Realizing her eyes were closed, she opened them and saw the ceiling again, and felt Dan's weight on her. Hitherto reassuring, but now oppressively constricting. She said, Off, please. Dan quickly retreated to a sitting position next to her on the floor, looking lost. Vanessa felt an ache in the back of her head, and also in her jaw, which she worked with her hand. So many things to do and say, she thought. Prioritize. Does she, from your dream, know that you're here? I don't think so. Then get me some ice. I'll take a look at this, and then we'll talk. He nodded, and again, like a sleepwalker, got up and began to put on his pants. 
she fished a bottle of ibuprofen out of her purse and again went into the bathroom, turned on the loud light, and looked at herself in the mirror. Wearing a shirt this time, and also what looked like the beginnings of a bruise. She turned on the water until it ran cold, unwrapped a plastic cup, drank cold water with two tablets, then soaked a washcloth and held it to the side of her face. It did not sting. The face in the mirror stared at her. Its eyes seemed to say, You have no idea what you're doing. Vanessa turned away from it and switched off the light. As the fan died down, she heard a knock on the front door. She peered through the spy hole. It showed Dan, anxious, holding the ice bucket. Her first impulse was to tell him to go away, but it passed. She opened the door and he came in, proffering the bucket like an apology gift. Thanks, she said flatly. She put it on the lampstand, opened it, took a couple cubes out, wrapped them in the washcloth, and held the cloth to her face. The cold made her shiver, but it also sharpened things. I'm sorry, said Dan behind her. I'm surprised you remember doing it, she said to the wall, trying to sound casual, not ready to face him or her reactions. I didn't see you when I was doing it, just shapes. But it didn't take me long to figure it out. His voice was somber. She turned around. He was standing, holding the knuckles of his right hand in his left, perhaps because they hurt, perhaps to protect her from them. Possibly even he didn't know which, but he did notice where she was looking. I'm sorry. It's all right. Just please don't do it again. He took a long breath and rapidly nodded twice. Who is she, and why does she want to kill you? Dan clenched his hand tighter, closed his eyes, and reopened them. I'm not sure who I meant exactly. There were two of them. One was a person standing behind me. I didn't see her clearly. The other was the masked woman I saw with your father and the logicians this morning. Vanessa tried to process this calmly, despite a strong inner urge to disbelieve, belittle, panic, joke, or run. Were you frank again? I'm pretty sure I was. Then were they going to kill him or you? Dan's brows knit, and some agitation returned to his face. Both of us, but in different ways. She, the masked woman, she could see both of us. She knew I was watching. How is that possible? How is any of this possible? Vanessa took a step back from him and put her hands up defensively. He scowled, stopped, took his own step back, turned, then began to pace the short distance between the bed and the wall. I should have thought of it once I knew that this was real. If I can see through his eyes, maybe he can see through mine. I've put you in danger. We should get out of here. And go where? Do what? You said they don't know you're here. Dan stopped pacing. They know about me. And Frank might have seen enough to know I'm with you. Well, neither of us are where we're supposed to be. Do you think he would have seen enough to lead her here? And would he do that if they're trying to kill him? I don't... I don't think he can keep secrets from the masked woman. But if he looked back the same way I do, it would only be scattered moments. 
if he missed the moment when I drove us here, he wouldn't know where we are because I didn't know where I was going. Okay. Then we're probably as safe here as anywhere. If we move, it might give them clues to find us. Then maybe I should go on my own. I feel like I'm doomed, and that you'll keep getting hurt if you stay too close to me. She could feel the hard logic of his words, but it only made her want to stick closer to him. Like she should have stuck to Abby. Sit down. On the bed. He sat. She sat in the chair facing him. Right back where we started. It was a good point, she had to admit. Objectively, the similarity of view was striking, but the cold ache where her hand held the ice cloth against her jaw was very different from the hot tingles she'd felt earlier. And even the visual of Dan was colored now by knowledge rather than mystery, a sense of knowing things about him she never should have learned. As if to dispute that thought, Dan said, If I'm staying, I should tell you everything. Not just what I can piece together, not just what makes sense. Everything that might have to do with this, right now. The urgency came, she knew, from his belief that he would be dead soon, and the idea of that almost overwhelmed her. She felt a strong urge to just sit there and let herself sink into sadness and hopelessness. Despair seemed like such a relaxing idea. But instead, she walked to the corner, picked up her tablet from where she'd dropped it mere minutes earlier, and launched the voice record app. Shoot! He swallowed and began his story. There were hours of it. Most, Dan repeatedly admitted, might be of no importance at all, especially including the twists and turns of his dreams. Sitting still and listening to him proved difficult. So she stood, paced, sprawled on the bed, sat in the corner on the towel, did anything that would keep her attentive and wouldn't distract him too much. Asking the occasional question, but only to clarify context, careful not to cast doubt on his observations or to lead him off on tangents. And finally he said, <sighs> That's everything I can think of. She nodded. She'd settled back into the chair, feeling that he was winding down. Any questions? <sighs> I should have loads, but my brain is mush. I guess the only thing I can think about is the woman who wants to kill you. You say she's the masked woman, the one you saw in person this morning? Yeah. And you have no idea who she is? I don't recognize her from anywhere else. And I don't see how she fits into any of this. But you said she looked like the other woman in that picture with Frank from the pantry? Just something about her eyes. About the way she looked. Not the way she appeared. The way she observed. Right. And, and that look in her eyes, that's what scared you out of your dream? That was a big part of it. She was already saying creepy stuff, but that was the capper. Let's see that picture, Vanessa said, opening the browser on her tablet. Walk me through your web search. He did, and very quickly the picture came up. Well, I'll be. What? She put the mask image on one side of her screen and alternated between others from different years on the other. Look familiar? Look around the mask, ears, chin, forehead. That's her. Who is that? That is Harriet Reese, Harrison's mother. And she was in the clip Abby showed me from a few years later with Abby's dad and Uncle Frank. But not acting as friendly with him as here. Correct. And I'm pretty sure her eyes were normal in that... She looked pleased at first, then angry. Here, she's nothing. Yeah. Scary nothing. Plus, I think 
I didn't get a clear look. She could have been the other human in my last dream. The one Frank didn't trust. They sat for a long moment. I can't make connections. My brain is mush, too. What do we do next? I should tell you everything like you did for me. It's like Abby said. Too many people have disappeared without telling their stories. Dan blinked twice. That's a good idea. But I don't think I'm up to it right now. Not right now. In the morning. First, we sleep. How's your jaw? Vanessa worked it back and forth, trying to make it look playful. Feels fine if I don't press into it. She'd discarded the washcloth hours earlier. Looks like there might be a mark. What will be, will be. Let's go to bed. I can sleep on the floor. Don't be an idiot, she replied, letting out a bit of old Vanessa. And he laughed, which was what she wanted. He got up and began to remove his slacks. Apparently he was planning to get under the covers. Would she? Definitely. Sleeping in her clothes would leave her feeling off the next day. But that meant leaving the shirt behind. Part of her wished she'd been wearing her bra... She felt like going topless was sending a signal and that taking her shirt off and putting her bra on for bed would be ridiculous. Too much thinking about the wrong things, she decided. She slipped into bed on the wall side wearing only her underpants. He stripped down to his briefs and turned off the light, leaving just tiny slivers of streetlight bleeding around the heavy curtains. She heard him get in on the other side, but he did not touch her. She wanted to reach for him, but didn't want to start too quickly by encountering some random part of his body in the dark, and feared that if she reached for his face, with their luck she'd put a fingernail through his eye. So she thought, if she wanted touch, she'd have to say something. She didn't welcome this requirement. She wished it would just happen. Their bodies seemed much better at communicating emotions than their minds were. Are you awake? she asked the darkness. It had only been a couple minutes, but under the circumstances, the negative case was very possible. Yeah. Thinking. About what? He took a heavy breath. About the risk you're taking. Again. There's some kind of danger focused on me, and we've seen I'm not in control of myself. It was right for me to stay long enough to tell you everything. But now I, I really should go. She waited a long moment to make sure he was finished and to compose her best counter-argument before voicing it. I don't want you to. And I don't want to either. Believe me. But I should. When I left Abby, I pretended it was because I didn't believe her. But really, it was because I did. Because I knew she was surrounded by danger and insanity, and I didn't want it to touch me. I can't forgive myself for letting her go, but I can try to do better. And that includes holding on to you no matter what. If it turns out I really am doomed, I don't want to drag you down with me. Whatever you're involved in, I've been in it too my whole life. The only difference now is I have someone I can trust to face it with me. There was a long pause during which she sorely missed the lack of visual cues of what he might be thinking. Finally, he spoke. You... are fantastic. Her whole body shuddered in revolt against this assessment. She tried to explain herself, but all she could get out was, 
Please don't. She turned onto her left side. Even in the dark, she couldn't face him. A long moment passed. She wondered if they would just fall asleep like that, or perhaps just be silently awake until daylight removed the shroud that concealed their emotions. Then she heard a rustle, and felt his hand on her back. Warm, dry, the touch she'd wished for in the first place. She wanted more of it. She scooted herself backwards towards him so her back touched his chest and their legs entangled. He carefully set his right hand on her hip over the side of her underwear. She took his arm by the wrist and placed it on her upper chest, feeling his strong fingers against the top of her sternum. If this sent the signal that she forgave the hand that had punched her, so much the better. He applied pressure with his hand, and her upper body was thereby squeezed pleasantly against his, and they lay like that for at least a minute. She kept her eyes closed and enjoyed it, trying not to anticipate the next moment, when he must either slacken into sleep or explore further. Then she felt, ever so slightly, the hand on her chest, urging downward from where she held it. She knew that, with the slightest resistance, she could keep it where it was and he would stop. This wouldn't have to be a rejection. It would mean that the snuggling was what she wanted now. That twice today was enough of the orgasmic side of things. That their affection and whatever else they had for each other required no further demonstration. And that now she wanted to go to sleep. To be together with him, but in another key. But rather than give that resistance, she moved his hand to cover her breast. Was that enough for her? No. She was alive, and so was he, and maybe in their future there would be quiet, restful nights. But not tonight. Part of her wanted to rationalize this. It was a performance of their togetherness against the death and deception surrounding them. But that would be a lie. Maybe it had been true the second time, but the cause this time was that her brain was tired while her body yearned for action, and she just plain liked the way she and Dan physically connected. And even if they survived this crisis, it was hard to picture that connection continuing. So she wanted to enjoy it while she could. A new question sprung up. If she wanted this so much, did she also want more? What did things like condoms matter if they both might die tomorrow? No, she decided. That kind of recklessness was off the table. What they were doing was working. Anything new might ruin it. Save more for later, if ever. In the meantime, get this part perfect. You have been listening to Legacy Door, Episode 2.4, Vulnerability. Jamie Gosling was the primary narrator and us. Stacy Tappan was Vanessa Dorn. Jamie Wren was Dan Lutcher. The Legacy Door cover photograph is by Roxana and Nash. This episode's cover image is Silhouette Photography of Person in Front of Window by Isai Ramos. You can find more of his images on Unsplash. The opening music was Ethereal Thoughts by Victor Wayne. The closing music is Sunrise by Melancholic Bird. And speaking of sunrises, Dan and Vanessa's troubled sleep marks the end of our stretch of six Monday episodes, which will give way to something I like to call Tuesday in our next episode, Surprise. And it may be no surprise that we again had a little abridgment for adult situations, 
If you'd like to experience the rest or just support us, you can buy the original novel on Amazon or the audiobook at fine booksellers including Libro FM, where your purchase can benefit an independent bookstore in your area. You can also express your enjoyment free of charge by reviewing Legacy Door in Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice, or tagging Legacy Door Novel on Twitter, Blue Sky, Mastodon, or Facebook. Legacy Door is one of the fine podcasts presented by Dueling Genre Productions. Legacy Door is copyright 2021 by Bob J. Kester, all rights reserved. This is Bob J. Kester. Thanks for listening.